I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. You are welcome along. Once again, in the absence of N. Nicole, you are stuck with uh, Mutton Jeff. Is that a reference you guys know over there, Mutton Jeff? You're on mute, Alan. Come on, you amateur. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's Mickey Beale rhyming slang for a uh, death. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. Um, so yeah, we're 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 joining you today as a, a duo instead of a trio, and that may become um, uh, a pattern as we go along the season here. Maybe not for the the rest of August, but as we go along, uh, Mr. Cole is big shotting us. He's moving up in the world. He's becoming this international um, producing star. I've I've heard rumors of Hollywood uh, with what's going on with the strikes and. And, um, you know, I know he's not going to be a scab and cross the line, but, you know, apparently there's a lot of recruiters out there for his production talent. So um, we, we may go to this format in, in, in as, we, as the season goes along where you're stuck with Alan and myself uh, as kind of a review of uh, weekend games and then hopefully a, a longer episode later in the week, including Enda. Um, so that that might be in the works but it's a, it's a it's a work in progress so let us know if you have any comments or ideas or thoughts on that um so how, how are you getting on alan you, you good today very good thank you yeah been been lovely nice weekend a good start to the season i think yes yes it was uh it was a good weekend so yeah we're going to review ross county here and uh i think the thought is to keep these episodes a little more tight on on the review side so getting into some of the performance data some discussion on on how the game went just to kind of set the table um i had non-penalty xg uh at what just under two uh two to one basically was was the performance um obviously with the four two result uh so alan what, what are your kind of initial thoughts on on how the weekend went yeah, listen, lots, lots to get into. I think, um, and very felt very different about it when I've just watched it back and gathered the data and gone through all that process as I did than what I did at the time. At the time, it was kind of anxious, and I think it's again you, you tend to respond to game state. I think as well, not just not just me, but a lot of people formulate a deeper view of the game based on what happens quite early in the game. Um, and I think because the the start of the game, actually Ross County, I thought were were excellent. They pressed Celtic high up the pitch. They really went after Celtic. They forced, I think, five corners in the first fifteen minutes. It was sixteen minutes before Celtic had a, had a shot. 
and that shot actually resulted in the penalty in which they took the lead. But before that point, they had been not just um, very aggressive and successful with the pressing, they'd actually moved the ball, I thought, really well and, and, were, and were really hounding Celtic's right flank. Um, it looked like, you know, uh, Rolson wasn't getting a lot of support from Abada potentially. And um, and obviously with McGregor and O'Reilly being more like a double pivot and Turnbull perhaps pushed on a bit, there, w- there was some space that they found on that right-hand side of Celtic's defence. And then they were attacking that a lot and a lot, a lot of danger came from that. And I think that kind of set the tone of it being feeling a bit uneasy about the game. And obviously, you know, cruised into a half-time lead despite all of that and then the game kind of ended badly with a, another kind of poor goal being conceded um, and also the goal, the two goals that Celtic conceded in the second half were poor so, uh, you know if you're like me and you focus on the negatives sometimes he kind of came away with a bit, a few sort of mixed emotions I, I, I thought that Celtic lacked fluidity was the sort of qualitative assessment I'd made in my head when I watched the game without actually looking back but then once I started gathering the data, once I watched it back again, I actually found there to be way more similarities with how Celtic performed last season than what I'd picked up on the, on the day um, in terms of you know overwhelming possession, 759 completed passes. The XG differential, I had it over well over two. Um, post-shot XG, Celtic were over five. Um, you know... And it was just another pretty comprehensive win at the end of it with admittedly some sloppy moments. So I think it was more like last season than perhaps I originally thought would be my summary. We can dig into some of the specifics on that. But it was certainly untidy on occasions. I think the two goals conceded probably coloured that judgment a little bit. I think, you know, I've already made up my mind on Joe Hart and that made me uneasy. I was kind of I was I was a bit grumpy when he got picked to start. No, nothing <laughs> against him, honestly. Yeah. Nothing against Joe at all because yeah. you know lovely guy, great in the dressing room, great role model, all that, all that, all that. But the guys, you know, the guys' reactions and the guys' speed have just gone. I think. And so, listen, we're, I'm you know, led to believe that probably a goalkeeper's on the card. So hopefully that'll get resolved. So that didn't get the the game off to a good start when when he kind of got picked. But how about yourself? Yeah, well, when I saw the team sheet, I thought of you and Enda immediately in your radical ideas from last week. So uh, one big one certainly yeah, hit. 50-50. Well, absolutely. And we'll get on to that because that that was, uh, you know, a, a bit of a, a, a you know, uh, in some elements of our support, like a wet fart at Christmas dinner. I mean, that was that was um, quite the choice that was made. So we'll get into that. But I, I have not rewatched the game. Um, so I, I find your comment. I always enjoy discussing this with you because it uh, you know i appreciate because i have done that a lot in the past um how much more you insight you gather by doing it um and i don't think there's anyone that probably other than people that work at the club that get the insight that you do because you've done it for so long and um so consistently so as i was watching the game i kind of felt like the first half hour um and this is all me just winging it like this was my memory it was that we almost went into the game very similarly uh, in like an Ange 4-3-3 with some Rogers tweaks. And then because of how poorly it was going, quite frankly, uh, it almost looked like he flipped the switch and went Rogers 4-2-3-1 um, to kind of get control of the midfield a little bit because we were 
getting a bit overrun by Ross counting, which is alarming <laughs> um, in midfield. Uh, and that's kind of how I thought about it. Cause you, you started to see um, interchanging, but or, to your point, O'Reilly kind of dropping into that double pivot alongside McGregor. Um, so that's kind of how I, I saw the game. And if um, I was, you know, if, if you look at kind of how the, the XG tracked and the shots tracked throughout the game, I mean, it really was the first 30 to 35 minutes. It was basically a coin flip. I mean, um, it, it was it was very comfortable for Ross County, actually, which is a little, again, alarming. And that, the other thing I'll throw in there, again, from just from a metric perspective, because I, I did look this up and I always like to use some European um, reference points. So Ross County basically with some various proxies, you know, statistical proxies, they were more aggressive and forward and pressing us than we were against Real Madrid in, in the Champions League last season. So again, that kind of puts some context, I think, into how aggressive they were. And that's partly why I, you know, when, when Enda asked us for our predictions last week, I'm usually pretty confident at Celtic Park forecasting high goal scoring for us because Mackay, Malky Mackay just comes in and does this. And it, can work for periods of time, but as we see, you know, ultimately we end up just tearing that kind of an opponent apart over, you know, 90 plus minutes um, because they just can't keep it up. I mean, it just ultimately, you know, and they, they am, you know, they could have ambushed us and there could have been another, you know, mistake or two in there that where they did pick up an early goal, um, you know, in an alternative universe that certainly could have happened, but, and it would have been interesting if he would have switched, you know, um, tactically. Uh, after that kind of early ambush, but um, so that's kind of how I, I I thought about it. And any any response to that uh, non-reviewed um, framework? No, I think I think that's fair. I mean, again, sometimes we need to give credit. I think to Ross County, you know, Mackay might have felt new manager. You know, he might have maybe expected a few more changes. He knew that Celtic had at least you know two players in the defensive line that weren't necessarily first choices so he's he went very bold with it um in that sense and fair play and also i think especially in that, in that first period the the man-to-man marking in midfield was very effective uh, they were very aggressive in their man-to-man marking um this is maybe not a strength of o'reilly or um especially turnbull actually to to get themselves free Turnbull's just not that quick over a yard just to get that yard and get a foot out that you can get take the ball in. Um, you got to add in the fact as well that, um, uh, you know, Maeda is really, really poor with his back to goal. I mean, really poor with his back to goal. It takes him about four touches to control the ball sometimes. And, and he's just not he's just not effective at bringing it in and, and then doing something with it. I think Abad is a bit more technical, but, you know, he, he struggled to get on the ball as well. So, and then, and then again, in the first thirty minutes, we didn't really see this one tactical revelation of you know, you know, Kyogo turning into the sort of Lionel Messi under Guardiola false nine, which was the one big sort of tactical revelation of the day. Was this complete reimagining uh, Kyogo as a complete footballer, which was just you know definitely the highlight of the day, really. And that didn't really happen in the first sort of twenty odd you know 30 minutes as well and then if you look in the second half their press almost completely collapsed i don't know whether they're just not fit enough or they've just given it so much in that first half but they could not keep it up and then once we got a lead it was actually very very comfortable and i was looking at some of the tactical nuances today 
something I was looking at, you know, how high was Celtic's line, for example, you know, what how intense was Celtic's pressing. But it's very difficult to get an accurate reading on on one game, obviously. But also when you go into a three 0 lead at half time and you just don't need to be chasing the game in the second half, a lot of these things tend to tend to fall off. But actually Celtic's pressing numbers at least were pretty I mean, I think they averaged 112 presses a last season that was 130 in this game even though they were by game state there was need to be pressing so that's interesting i'm going to be fascinated to see whether we see a, a fitter more even more aggressive uh pressing celtic side this season interestingly again maida didn't on the pressing it was actually turnbull and uh o'reilly sorry and turnbull that led on the pressing and i think their their roles as players who were almost getting beyond the striker you know both you know they scored three of the four goals um, obviously, one was a penalty, but they, again, you know, they, they were trying to run beyond the striker on occasion. That was the other sort of aspect. But that's all that all came from, you know, Kyogo dropping into pockets of space, and his ability to not even have to take a pass in, but to be able to play first time and try and create from that was just you know revelatory, really, um, in terms of the you know things we had seen last season. But otherwise, actually. Not something I picked up on the day, but when I watched on Rayback, on, 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 on playback, Taylor and, and Ralston inverted quite a lot. They often fell into the middle areas. They often bolstered the midfield. Um, the, the, one, the one thing I didn't really get a sense of, I couldn't work out, is I didn't see what the plan was for Maida and Abada. I couldn't see what they were trying to do. I didn't know what the sort of attacking patterns were that Rogers was looking for them. Because I would have thought if Kyogo was dropping... You might see one or other of them starting to move diagonally across the, the space that Kyogo was leaving, but you just didn't really see that at all. So that that was the one sort of dilemma, you know, question I had really was what were we trying to do with those um, with those players? And then the other thing that I picked up on was just and I, and I kind of signposted this last week in an article is more long balls, more 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 lofted balls, because again. He's realised he's got incredible pace and technical ability up front to hit the front three much earlier. And we saw, I think, 61 long balls attempted. I think last season it was 42 was the average. So, you know, quite an uptick in number of yeah. long passes that, that were attempted. So, yeah, th those were the other kind of takeaways I had in terms of the tactical side of it. Well, I have one uh, stat for the stat heads uh, that I think, again, provides some context for the change in um, utilisation with Kyogo is uh i believe and again this is just going off the y scout data uh so you know always uh, uh the, the caveat there but um basically they have a passes received metric uh which is you know pretty self-explanatory um and they had him at 32 for the game and his high for last season by that metric in the league was 16. so basically double <laughs> the involvement of his highest amount from last season in in the game on on um on the weekend so yeah i i think that'll be fat i'm sorry yeah, it was stunning yeah yeah i think so i was going to say it's that yeah i mean he he, aver he actually averaged he averaged 15 on ball possessions if you want to call it that so that's that could be a pass received it could be a pass given it could be right. um you know a sort of even even a challenge right so 15 on ball events uh that he, he averaged uh, last season and in this game, like you say, it, it was actually forty, right? So it's just like a, a, it's like a different having a, a it's a completely different way of playing, basically. Yep. 
completely. Well, and that's and we we've we've hinted at that, which was the um because that that's been Rogers in the past is is to have the um, whether it was Dembele or even um, even Griffiths at times, you know, drop, go out wide, even uh, get involved in build up, um, and and we'll see how that because um, Kyogo I think is the clear um, candidate to do that successfully. We'll see how he can do that relative to higher quality com- competition where you've got maybe higher quality midfielders that he's going to have to navigate against. Um, as well as center backs as far as the athletic scale. But um, it'll be interesting as, as we move on uh, how that plays out relative to O, which I think was interesting. He didn't, you know, get selected to come in. It was basically move Maeda into the middle. And I think we'd probably agree that that does not lend itself as much to Maeda, <laughs> that role, uh, particularly given your comments earlier. So, yeah, I think that'll be something to watch and, and monitor as we go forward. Well, let's get back to the selection then, because the elephant in the room is um, the, the decision to go with, uh, I think, David Turnbull, uh, to a lesser extent, Ralston over Awada. I don't think that was a big surprise. Um, you know, given what sounds like the transfer news potentially with Starfelt, uh, Navarovsky going in, not a surprise. Um, although Endo might have been surprised it wasn't Liam Scales, but um, I, I, the the big one was obviously the the decision with Turnbull over Hatate. So, what, what were your first of all? What were your thoughts when you saw that? Well, as I say, the the, the performance Hatate's performance against Athletic was so eye opening to me. It just screamed of something. Given how how out of Kilter it was with how excellent he'd been Japanese friendlies. Um, it just it just alarm bells, and you know it, it looks like there's been something happening there in terms of you know whether it's you know attitude, not following instructions, or whatever it might be. Um, and Turn, Turnbull got got the nod, and um, you know we know we had to, the thing is Turnbull's a bit like Starfield. He's one of these players that you know we we all admire what he's good at, but and, and what he's not good at is you can't see it ever changing he's not going to get a yard of pace he's not going to become a sort of physical beast in the middle part there um you know he can improve his um his 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 passing he can improve his his uh, non-set piece um creativity I, I think um but a lot of the physical sides of the game which are his limitations you know he he he, he can't but then he was asked to do at the weekend was to get beyond Kyogo. Kyogo would come out, Turnbull would hit the space behind him. Um and he did that incredibly effectively. You know, he had he had two goals. He could he could easily have had uh, easily have had three. So you know you can't say it wasn't a success in that in that sense. Um and you know it was it was possibly very telling, maybe reading too much into it, you know, how effusive you know Matt O'Reilly was about the fact that Turnbull had been rewarded and did start the game after the match in terms of squad dynamics as well. So very interesting. You know, Turnbull did a good job. You know, you can't argue with, with that. I don't think I don't I don't think either whether it's Turnbull or whether it's Hatati, I don't think it solves Celtic's midfield problem. I still think we're far too uh, light as far as athleticism and, and overall pace is concerned. Looking at Matt O'Reilly, the way he played the he was very good at getting on the ball. He took responsibility. He was receiving it under pressure. He was receiving it from deep. He was linking the play very much like another McGregor in a sense. 
Um, I do get the, my reading of it is that, you know, McGregor and O'Reilly are the two, two names on the team sheet as far as central midfield is concerned. Therefore, you know, who's the third name? And I, I don't know at the moment, I, I can't think of a good option that solves the deficit of those two players and take Celtic forward, especially at Champions League level. I think for, it's fine for County, you know, whether it's Hitati uh, playing a deeper role or whether it's Turnbull breaking into the box. I don't think either of those things are a problem against Ross County, frankly, but I just don't think we've, we've yet got the mix in midfield to to really push forward in that, in that regard. But listen, in terms of the selection on the day, you can't question it in terms of the outcome, I suppose. And, uh, you know, Turnbull did, did do very, very, very well. Well, and it's just to, to, to reopen an old wound. Um, you know, the context of the discussion initially about Hitate was, um, at least from my perspective, and again, that all germinated from my um, twisted mind, uh, even though you, you took the brunt of the abuse, um, in that instance anyway, uh, was within the context of playing the attacking eight role in Ange Ball at the Champions League level. And it was mostly due to the concern of um, his ability to defend and press effectively, meaning that as a unit, our, one of our big problems at that level, particularly under Ange, was being able to you know, keep the opponent's chance creation and more importantly, goals that they were scoring, meaning you know, something south of two and a half or three a game <laughs> was going to be required for us to have any chance in hell of being you know remotely competitive at that level and this this is where i've you know consistently looked at benchmarking hatate he's been deficient relative to turnbull at that level he's been deficient relative to uh another former celt who's been in the news this week olivier and cham apparently going to turkey who i don't think anyone would have ever labeled as a defensive dynamo um, even in his best days at, at Celtic. So that that's the context, which was, you know, and I, I this is where um, maybe him beginning to fall out of favor with a new manager like Rodgers. Um, you know, if, if I'm Rodgers and I'm making uh, advancing at a competitive level in Europe a priority, through that lens, I could see someone like Hatate, you know, maybe being addressed, meaning that, coached in a way and saying, listen, you got to start defending more or better uh, more vigorously um, because it's not, it hasn't just been a, a matter of effectiveness. There's been a volume deficiency there. Right. And that's yeah. given just, him just, just to put that into context, James, I mean, Hatati has got the lowest pressing volume stat of any of the midfielders last season, even Aaron Moy, even 32 year old Aaron Moy. And even Abada, he, he presses less than Abada. Right. So that that's that's the issue for the team. Yeah. You know, it's, it's it's a structural issue, and it's not just him. I'm, it's the mix again. I keep coming back to it, it's the mixture because McGregor's not terrific at it. O'Reilly is, but Turnbull's not terrific at it. So if you're going to play McGregor, which you probably which you are, right, you're going to have to compensate for it in some way, which puts pressure on the other guys to step up and do do more of that stuff. Exactly. And that, that's to me, the, the red herring is um, the issue of volume. And, and in a system where you're trying to have cohesive pressing and counter pressing, if one element of that structure is not kind of pulling their weight. Um, and again, maybe it's by design that you always have to throw that in potentially because he's playing on the same side generally as Maeda, that kind of thing. Um, 
you know, if I'm going to be charitable, that would be uh, a way to maybe interpret it. But, um, you know, so again, given that kind of backdrop, um, I, I'm, I'm not shocked that this potentially might happen, uh, particularly given the kind of coach and, you know, person that Rogers is. I mean, he, he's not someone to suffer fools or to, you know, I'm not calling Hatate a fool, obviously, but you know what I mean? Like he, he's, he's not going to put up with um, somebody, as we would say in America, big timing, right? Somebody, somebody who's maybe in the locker room or dressing room, not pulling their weight in, in that regard. And I, I'm not saying he's not, it's just, you know, there, there are some, there's a consistent set of uh, high quality data that suggests that that interpretation or that could be an issue. Um, so whether smoke could there you be know, fire? I mean, I mean, it may not be attitude. It may not be attitude. It just may, may be capability. I mean, well, that's another part, right? We, we, we this is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box, and if you break it down, it really comes out to two dollars a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. We can't make Greg Taylor faster. We can't make David Turnbull faster. We've, we can't make Rio Hitati more mobile as far as your know, pressing and counterpressing is concerned. These are, these are, there's probably physical limitations there. I mean, this is, and this is part of what we've been saying, actually, for the last year is that a lot of yeah. this is an athleticism deficit. Well, and I, I guess that's where I would interpret that because to me, he seems to have a degree of pace and quickness that that shouldn't be an issue. I mean, not to the, not to the deficit that he displays. Right. So that's kind of how I, I, I think about it. Um, so again, we're, we're, 
you know, it's clearly an inter an interpolation, an extrapolation. I mean, it, it could be completely off base, but um, you know, as outsiders, obviously, we, we try to connect some of these dots and and um, you know, read the tea leaves, so to speak. So, you know, I, I, I but I ultimately the, the 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 you know, if we try to look at this from a um, a, a positives and negatives perspective, if the situation was, um, you know, we were unlikely to have midfielders that were going to be able to defend at a level that we need in Europe, something had to change and has to change. So this, this was always the question, like, well, who's not going to be in there? <laughs> and, uh, you know, to your, to your point in the comment that you made, we kind of know McGregor is going to be. So that means, you know, what's the mix in midfield to be able to play to get that third seed in the champions league, which I think we kind of agree on would, would be the target for the season. Um, so somebody has got to get sacrificed, so to speak. And who is that? And in the grand scheme of things, you know, from a defending perspective, and we'll get into that probably later in the week when we look at some of the potential new signings, you know, we've, we've got to prioritize chance uh, reduction and, and, stopping goals from being scored. I mean, it sounds simple and obvious, but, you know, um, I, I think that has to be prioritized to a degree. And, and, uh, so maybe this will be a blessing in disguise, so to speak, um, with all the, you know, the normal caveats that, you know, we, we, we know and understand that people have favorite players and enjoy watching certain players play. And we certainly, you know, I certainly do as well, but, um, you know, maybe there's a, a greater good that could come out of this. If, if indeed it does end up kind of, uh, cascading in that direction um what well, let, let's let's maybe uh, let's talk about the the other uh uh new event which was the the introduction of Navrosky in a competitive match um i'll set the table on that a little bit which is um the one the when i kind of went through his profile and do my little benchmarking thing the one thing that did stand out and again it's limited he's young he can develop was that th this uh hops metric from stats bomb basically benchmarked him around uh, Welsh. And I mentioned this last week, Welsh and uh, uh, who was the other one? I forget. But oh, uh, Eric Sviachenko. Those are the two kind of hops metrics uh, co corollaries that I had. Um, and I think we saw that already. And, and as he looked dynamic on the ball, he looked to be able to carry the ball. I, I had mentioned, you know, the numbers look like he might have a little bit of ire in him. And I think we saw that a little bit. Um, so I think it's a very interesting mix. I, I, I was encouraged overall, but, um, you know, th th there's going to be pluses and minuses with any player, I think. And I, it was interesting to see is almost in one, one performance that he seemed to display almost his entire, uh, <laughs> data profile, uh, to a T. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I think I was overall hugely encouraged, like you say, with, a, with a couple of things, which, have, a, have an impact on on the data on the data and I'll come back to what I mean by that but let's start with some of the sort of positives so you know Navrochi had um had the best in terms of the highest volume of pack passes right so 15 uh, next highest was Rolson with 11 and the highest sort of pack passing score 89 the uh, next highest was Rolson as well with 66 what does that mean so he was getting the ball forward very similar to Starfelt in a sense he he wasn't trying to um get the ball to uh, Kyogo a lot. In the first half, it especially, he seemed to be able to get the ball to Maeda really effectively. And then, you know, sort of, he was almost getting the ball directly to him, uh, so centre-back to, to sort of attacking wide player. So that was getting through the first couple of lines. 
of, of not Ross County's press. It didn't happen so much in the second half, but again, you only played half the game and, and also Celtic were, were not needing to force the issue so much in that sense. You know, I'll hold my hand up. You know, I, I, I took an instant um, reaction, I felt, just because of, simply because, of, I think I've said this before, simply because of the way he, um, his physical, um, what's the word, that, his physical, um, I don't know what the right word is, the, the dynamics of how he moves his body. Awkwardness, awkwardness. <laughs> yeah, it just looked awkward to me. He seemed to struggle to change direction, to shift weight, change from one foot to another. And Navrotsky, you know, didn't have any of that. He looked very comfortable on the ball. And as I say, he was the he was the leading pack passer on the day. He was also the leading progressive runs. He had six. Uh, the next highest was three. And again, most of those were in the first half in response to um, Ross County going man-to-man. I thought both him and Carter Vickers were pretty smart, actually. Uh, they saw the mid-man-to-man marking was being effective. So they they, they just ran straight at at Ross County, which is exactly the right thing to do and, and, and a smart move. So he seemed, you know, in that sense, tactically uh, smart, he, ball progression, both with feet and uh, with the ball, running with the ball, excellent, I thought. Um, and then a couple of times in the second half, it was just like watching Carl Starfelt when Jordan White went up against him and he lost a couple of flick-ons. And that, that losing those aerial duels really depressed his... You know, the, the thing I use as an anchor is my defensive action success rate. So, um, listen, one game is not a good, is not good. You don't use, like XG, you don't use it for one game. You need to use it over a big sample of games. So his defensive action success rate of 71, that's putting you in sort of Stephen Welsh, kind of Jack Henry type territory. You know, Carter Vickers would be around 80, high 80s to almost 90 in a sense. So, you know, you'd, you'd want, but, you know, again, um, White is, is Ross County's main outlet in terms of an attacking sense, and we know that you know that's what they do against Celtic. So, n- not too worried about that. I think he lost a couple of aerial duels. They didn't amount to anything. Do you offset losing two aerial duels in the middle third with all the other good stuff he did? He did, of course, you don't, and you didn't do that for Starfell either. And you've got to look at a bigger, a bigger sort of um, sample of data. But yeah, didn't look to take us forward in terms of. You know aerial um, effectiveness, and I suppose the thing that does need to be said is that at, at their first goal, the one thing I will say about Starfell is, as much as he outside the box, he he would often get beaten both on the ground and in the air. He'd get drawn under the ball. He'd get pulled out of position. He'd be rash into challenges when, in that sort of defensive third. In the box, Starfell's one of the best defenders I think I've seen at Celtic in terms of. When balls get launched into the box, Starfield's excellent at finding a way to get on the end of it. And unfortunately for their first goal, it's Navrocchi that's uh, Navrocchi that's um, marking Jordan White, and Jordan White essentially just shoves him out of the way and gets his header in. And and, and I don't think that would welcome, have welcome to, to Scottish football. <laughs> yeah, Starfield Starfield would have been would have been you know all yeah. over you know one way or other, even even on the edge of legality, but he would have been very physical with him. Um, so that, that you know, it, it, in many ways, it was a freaky kind of goal. It was a going again. One of these three things wrong. Could the ball went across the, the middle of the six-yard box? Hart was nowhere near it. Um, you know, the Rochki allows himself to just get shoved a little bit by White, and then loses his position. And then Kyogo falls back onto the post, and then comes forward, and it just drops over his head. Why did he take that step forward? So three things, and then you end up with a goal, right? It was it was. 
you know, that, that as I said before, when when, the, when three things tend to happen together like that, that can often be the case. So yeah, a couple of concerns around that aerial and that physicality sounds very similar to other centre backs that we've had through. But I think on balance, look supremely confident. Um, his basic ground defending excellent and his ball progression excellent. So reasons to be cheerful in that regard. Yeah, I, I'd agree. Um, you know, there, there's some, some of that can be addressed, particularly given his age. You know, he can hit the weight room a little more, um, you know, get on some creatine and, um, you know, just just be coached into um, positionally. And, and there's a familiarity issue, um, you know, playing in Scotland. He's, he's going to get, you know, more used to that physicality as well. So I, I think those issues are more um, addressable particularly given he's, you know, he's got the size. It's not like he's an undersized guy like Welsh, right? So he's, he's underperforming aerially based off of, you know, various metrics given his physical profile. So I, I'm encouraged that that can be addressed. Um, the other stuff, the harder part, I think the more innate stuff, meaning that, and again, it was evident to a degree in some of the benchmarking I did is he seems to have a relatively high IQ. He, he seems to play with his head up, you know, there's, there's kind of game intelligence types of aspects that we talk about he seems to have those so i i think that's the part that probably um is most encouraging for me now again um that's a long-term view <laughs> uh what does that mean meaning that you know can he bulk up can he deal with some of these physical demands uh both domestically and in europe with the time frame that we're dealing with here um i think that's a bigger question and i think a reasonable one um to ask him, obviously we don't have an answer for that, but I, th I think it'll be of some kind of concern. And this is where, again, we talk, you know, we go back to your patented phrase of toxic combinations, which is, um, you know, both Greg Taylor on the left with him, holy crap, is that an aerial vulnerability, you know, for long balls. Um, and then having a keeper that, you know, um, I'll say it tongue in cheek because I think it's a funny line, but it is effectively becoming a potted plant on set pieces. I mean, just not moving. And and it's getting to the point now where I think, you know, even his most oh, um, uh, adoring defenders or advocates are yeah. seeing it. I mean, it's, it's, you know, again, the idea of, of, of quality data and, and quality analysis is to see some of the things maybe emerging early. Um, and now to the point where by the time it gets to where the broad kind of consensus eye test is confirming it as well, usually that means you haven't been doing a very good job analytically. <laughs> uh, and I think now it's I mean, becoming yeah, brazenly we don't, we don't, obvious. We don't want to labor the, yeah, we don't want to labor the point, but, and I hope people don't, you know, take it that, that way. It's just, I mean, even the second goal, right? It, I mean, the ball flashes off Starfelt and goes above heart. He doesn't move. He doesn't move a muscle. Now, a young pair of eyes, a young agile keeper, I'm thinking instinctively just put something up. Try. He, just, he yeah. might not save it, but he at least puts a hand up just because it's like, holy crap, the ball's going up there. He doesn't move. He literally didn't move. He just doesn't have the reaction speed anymore. And, right. and I, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm call me a drama queen if you want. That's fair enough. But I think if we persist with Joe Hart and goal all season, we, we potentially could lose the league, right? I, I, that, I, that's how serious it could be. I, I agree with you. I, I think it's existential enough um, relative to that, meaning that it, it's an unnecessary, you know, this this was prior to the 2020, it, I, I was thinking about this before we came on today because I, I have um, my kind of analytical framework uh, 
in, in financial markets has reached kind of where we were after the St. Johnston game in October of 2020, <laughs> which was, uh, you know, there was a lot of kind of false bravado that that was going on within the Celtic community at that time because we were, you know, uh, heading the league and, and the results were coming in, even though some of the underlying uh, performance trends were quite alarming, which was why I was very concerned at the part at that point and very alarmist. Um, and, and I, th that's where kind of where we're at in financial markets, global financial markets right now, in my view. Um, so I, I was thinking about that and, you know, so what, one of the things that I, I have in my analytical toolkit is very focused on risk and, um, which, you know, is completely outside the bounds of what I think most people do in, in football analytics. Um, it's just a different way of thinking about things. And, um, to me, it's it's such a clear and obvious and existential risk. Like if you think about a distribution of risk, this is the left tail. Like Joe Hart is the left tail this season. It's completely unnecessary to go into and you know pass this transfer. And I don't think we will. By the way, I, I, I'm pretty confident that yeah. you know that that there's going to be a change made there. Um, hopefully, um, but to not do it would be, you know, r really, really. Um, you know, grossly negligent is what, what was the term I was using heading into 2020, 2021 with building the team around Brown. Um, this would be equivalent. Like it just would be grossly negligent as far as a decision, as far as what it could introduce as far as risk to the season. Um, so I, I think I don't, I, just with Brad, it's not, I don't, I'm, I don't find pleasure in pointing these things out. Um, it's just, I really don't want to lose the leak this year. <laughs> I don't know about you, Al, but that's kind of a, you know, mm -hmm. would, that, that would be something that would be nice not to have happen. Um, and if it's addressed, well, it's, it's absolutely, yeah, it's absolutely vital. Now, you know, other, other, other factors may conspire to allow us to win the league anyway. I mean, you know, and right. <laughs> hugely enjoyed the, uh, the game at rugby park, for example, to, to use, I don't think yeah. we're, uh, we're maybe worrying well, that... unnecessarily, but you know, we we want Celtic. We're focused on Celtic's performance. We want Celtic to be the best we can be. And if we go into the Champions League uh, with that level of uh, goalkeeping, unfortunately, you know we're going to get a bad outcome. Because as I said before, if Celtic do get good results in Europe, it's more than likely a goalkeeper is going to have to make six or seven saves, of which two or three are going to have to probably be exceptional to to to, to make a point or to hold on for a win in some of these tough group matches. So, is you can you say that that's going to be Joe Hart? Yeah. Yeah. And, no, and set pieces at that level. That, I mean, yeah. it, it, it becomes a, uh, an issue of, you know, do we end up with 98 points or 94 this season? You know, set pieces could determine that kind of variance for Celtic domestically, but you know, in Europe against that level of athletes, those level of quality, I mean, it, you just can't have, you know, an abrogation of, 12 yards in front of your goal where it's basically a free-for-all. I mean, in that you can just dump balls into that area and have big, strong, talented uh, players at the Champions League level competing with our defenders and, and, and players, you know, without any real impact or even threat of, of a keeper coming for a ball. I mean, it's, you would just bombard balls in. Why would you do anything else? Um, so, yeah, let, let, let's not belabor that point anymore. Um, yeah, the, the, the only thing I'll throw in relative to the weekend is I, I, in looking at the different games, uh, we, we come back to the, you know, kind of the competitive landscape of the league. I wouldn't be surprised if Kilmarnock 
is and this is not you know rangers were horrendous i watched the game uh in a lot of ways and it was delightful in that regard but including the you know beal selection which was just wonderful but um is you know i think kilmarnik's going to be a real pain in the ass this season i mean it, they they've recruited in a very uh uh, McInnes rugby side at rugby park on a crap pitch. They're, they're going to be a big pain in the butt in at, at home. Um, and, and they have very physical Armstrong's, a, you know, a big pain in the butt on, on the wing for them. So I, I actually wouldn't be surprised if, um, they compete for top six and pretty solidly over the duration of the season. That that's kind of my, my, uh, initial, uh, thoughts on, and it has nothing to do with that game, which again was great. But I, I think just generally, I think they've done enough there with McKinnis as as the manager, the way they they play relative to the rest of the league, that they could be a real a real pain, almost like a Livingston, only better uh, in some ways. Yeah, I mean their defenders are actually pretty good. <laughs> you know, yep. they're, they're centre backs. Uh, they get they're youngish, I think. Um, in fact, young I think Dees and Finley are ex. Yeah, Dees and Finley. I mean, he didn't have to do much, but we'll we'll see if he's any yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah, they've got an ex, two ex Celtic kids, and one ex Ibrox kid. So, but you know they're they're all decent players. But no, I think I think the last sort of point for me really, and it's probably a theme to build on uh, over the over the weeks is really just um, that of change. I, you know, Celtic had one player in the team on Saturday that was new. You know, Narotsky. The rest all played last season. I know it wasn't necessarily the first choice, and there have been changes in terms of, but you know, it's not beyond the bounds of possibility that those other 10 players have all played together before on the same time. But it was discernibly different. And actually, it just shows you how delicate these things are. As I read, I show you how well Postacoglu had drilled that team for them to be so consistent in their performances week in, week out, even if personnel did change the next person slotted in because they all knew their jobs. And Rogers hasn't changed a lot, but he's just changed a little bit. And, and and just that little bit makes it look a little bit less cohesive, a little bit less fluid. It wasn't a disaster. It wasn't, you know, dysfunctional. It still still got the job done, scored four goals. As I say, XG differential, I'm more than happy with. But it just shows you this is a very delicate thing. And, and and I'll and I'll go on. You know, you mentioned Kilmarnock. Kilmarnock managed to integrate eight players over at Ibrox. They're integrating what was it, nine players, and and they didn't do it very well. This isn't easy. That level of change, that level of change to personnel, that level of change to approach is not. It's it's a delicate, delicate thing. And uh, I'm not I'm not I'm not making any grand point here. It's just a theme that I wanted to introduce, just to as I say, to build on maybe over the next few weeks in terms of how how teams respond to change. Great, great points. Um, well, we went 13 minutes over time. Uh, horrible failure as usual, but we, we'll, we'll bloviate still for about 17 minutes less than usual. So well, I think we'll wrap it up there uh, on the review of, of the Ross County game. And uh, depending, uh, big, speaking of big time and big shots, uh, this end of Cole character, we'll see if he decides to grace us with his presence and later in the week. Um, is he we'll, at? Um, I, th- I believe. I believe I don't, it might just be a rumor, but I think he's at Liam Scales' birthday party tonight, isn't he? Oh, uh, that could be it too. Maybe, yeah, maybe, um, sure. maybe uh, Mr. Des, uh, Desmond sent his private jet for uh, 
for Ender to get him over. I don't sense. know. Well, that would make sense, make sense too. Now that he's gone Hollywood on us, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll look forward to the Aberdeen game, which that's a very interesting analytical case. I don't know if you looked at their season last year, Alan, but I recommend you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think they're in for a rude awakening with this managerial hire, but uh, that's a little preview of what I'll have to say later in the week. Um, and I think maybe we'll get into a little bit more of some of the um, transfer rumors and uh, maybe by then news, uh, depending on what, what goes on here in the next couple of days. So um, I, I'll try to do my end of part here. So uh, if you can leave a review uh, on iTunes, uh, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts or leave comments below or subscribe to us here on YouTube. We appreciate it. It helps the channel. Um, and really, it helps pay for end of Cole's private jet. Um you know that 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 really is the priority here as as he continues to ascend the the, the global power structure. So, uh, thank you for v- watching and listening this uh, this week, and we'll we'll well today I should say, and hopefully we'll catch you later in the week. Take care. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, James. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 